This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Total Saints Podcast in partnership with saintsworld.co.uk and saintsarchive.com. With a dedicated weekly podcast going to the heart of all things Saints SC, especially as Ralph's revolution continues to kick into gear. The three of us, Adam, Steve and myself, will look back at another, yes another, Saints Premier League win, this time against Everton at St Mary's. It was a great three points from us, albeit slightly nerve-wracking in the last 10 minutes or so of injury time. We'll also touch on the fans' forum at St Mary's this past week, which included Ralph Hasenhutl, Ralph Kruger and Managing Director at Saints, Toby Still. We've also got our latest Total Recall, which features a classic relegation battle from 2008 when Saints overcame Sheffield United to survive in the Championship. All in all, Adam, before we get properly into the podcast, it's been a, a mixed week, I guess typical life as a Saints fan. Leicester, Derby and Everton, of course, but generally lots of positive things to write about, I imagine. Yeah, it's been good. Um, it really it has been good. Obviously, the Derby blip in the middle, but the uh, Leicester and, and Everton games, fantastic, really. And, and from a professional point of view, as a journalist, uh, I always say it's a lot easier to write about a winning team than it is to write about a losing team, which is why the last uh, couple of years have been quite difficult um, mm. to cover them. So it's just been really nice being able to, to talk about positive things. And I think as well, when you're doing the, the sort of more reflective pieces after games for, for like the verdict on a Monday, when they're losing, you kind of feel an obligation that you, you've kind of got to always reflect the situation that they're in. Yeah. And you can't really go much beyond that as whereas when they're, 
uh, doing well, you can start to look more at formations, tactics, individual players, how, you know, how they're improving, how they're doing, things like that, which are things that you really want to be talking about most of the time anyway. It kind of is in that environment when they're losing every single week and they're in major relegation trouble. So it's been really nice to do that. And this week, I, I, the verdict, I was sort of highlighting James Ward-Prowse, so I'm sure we'll talk about mm. um, as well. And it's just been nice to be able to do things like that and look at improvements and actually just talk about some happy stuff for a change i imagine you use words like confidence and high press and attacking and your theosaurus on your laptop says are you sure you want to use this word i don't recognize it but uh, there we go um <laughs> steve I, I was thinking about you as well two trips down to saints a trip to leicester last week uh, a total recall recording that we did in the uh, the week it's uh, becoming a full-time job for you as well yeah it's been a busy one hasn't it yeah, um nice. yeah I mean, it's, it's been interesting actually i think i mean we've had three two nil leads in a week yeah um I mean, obviously, we've not actually held the two-goal lead for any of those games, but overall positive, I think. And while everyone will have been disappointed to have lost to Derby on Wednesday, sort of on reflection, I think pressure they've been under and the sort of intensity of the games and the num- and the frequency of the games over the last three or four weeks, now having a 10-day break before we play Crystal Palace, I think actually... Um, might be exactly what we need. Mm, totally, although I did see they were in training today, so Ralph's certainly keeping his foot down, isn't he, Sunday, day after the game. Well, some quick and important housekeeping to outline. A TSP patron shout-out to Kevin Witts, who became the latest Patreon member to sign up and support our podcast via patreon.com slash totalsaintspod. Thanks, Kevin. Really appreciate the support, and we look forward to doing something special for you and all our other patrons soon. Secondly, Spotify. Yes, you may have seen over the weekend that we've finally got TSP onto Spotify. Thanks to several of you who'd uh, requested it. Just search for Total Saints Podcast to find it. Sorry for the delay in that. Um, You can put it down to uh, old age and us being technophobes I think but uh, all sorted now and uh, I know a couple of people have also asked about Stitcher so hopefully that's in the uh, the pipeline as well we're just waiting to hear back on that and uh, I'll uh, make sure we tweet it out on the social media if and when Stitcher is live Finally, thanks for all the tweets and emails we received about last week's episode. It was great to hear everyone enjoyed it, particularly Grant Coleman being on and everyone having some positive memories to uh, come flooding back. We hope this week's will be just as enjoyable for you. So on that note, let's get on with it. This is episode 61 of Total Saints Podcast, sponsored by happyhottubs.co.uk. Happyhottubs.co.uk At Happy Hot Tubs, we specialise in hot tubs. It's all we've done for 35 years. So if you're thinking about a hot tub and want to speak to someone, then we're the place for honest, clear and friendly advice. Plus, right now we have 0% available on our hot tubs, meaning you can spread the cost in easy payments. You deserve happy. Come and get it at Happy Hot Tubs. Conditions apply. Visit happyhottubs.co.uk Happyhottubs.co.uk 0% excludes free throw range. As mentioned earlier, it's been a mixed week for Saints since Leicester, throwing away a two-goal lead to lose 5-3 on penalties to Derby County in the FA Cup, before beating Everton 2-1 at St Mary's in the Premier League to end the week with a silver lining. You can keep that one, Adam. To pick up three vital points. Just so we don't gloss over it then, I uh, thought it was just uh, worth touching on the Derby game, Adam. Disappointing to to lose probably in the end, but as we just mentioned there, some fringe players got some valuable game time, we scored two really good goals, and uh, ultimately there's no trip up to Accrington Stanley for you, so uh, definitely some positives to take. Well, that was the most important positive of the week, really, so I don't (laughs) have to go to Accrington. Of course, it's all about me, so... um, As you know, I was dreading the trip to Accrington, and so... From a personal point of view, I cannot honestly say that I was desperately heartbroken uh, that Saints went out. Albeit, I imagined you and Steve, after your ribbing last week, 
uh, laughing heartily when it went to extra time and penalties, knowing that I would be accumulating a few extra great heads <laughs> with our midweek deadlines, yeah. um, which I certainly did. It was tense stuff all round. I can imagine. But, um, so obviously that was the highlight of the week, was not having to go to Accrington. But in all seriousness, when you look at the performances on the pitch... Um, Derby, I think really on reflection now and having had the time to let it sink in because it's it's one of those difficult things for me because like I said, our deadlines are so tight. You don't know the result of the game. We're trying to do stuff um, and produce a newspaper kind of normally it's within uh, on, a, on a midweek within an, and you're kind of an hour of the game finishing. We're actually doing this whilst the game is still going. Mm. Um, in this instance, we really are producing a properly live paper that we're then just kind of polishing off when we know the results so it kind of was very hard to reflect uh, an awful lot on what kind of happened and I think now having time to think about it I'm, I'm not convinced it was actually the worst uh, performance that we've seen from Saints really despite them getting knocked out very curious about the team that he put out I mean obviously it's all worked out okay in the end but it was a weird halfway house between not quite going at absolutely full tilt to just try and get the job done uh, and then, you know, maybe withdraw a few players as the game went on. And it wasn't quite just going for youth. Um, and, and again, I guess I would raise that point that I raised before, that if you're not quite prepared to play some of these guys now in that kind of game, when you're in this kind of run of fixtures, then I, I, I'm not entirely convinced that all this talk about, oh, you know, the, there's so many young players coming through, etc. is going to quite come to fruition because if you don't play them now, I don't see when you are ever going to play some of these guys. Yep. Um, but yeah, in the end, they put up a, a, a reasonable fight. But the fact that they couldn't hold on to a 2-0 lead again was uh, was their undoing and was and was slightly alarming. Um, but then, obviously, coming into Everton, you worried a little bit about the freshness of the players. We knew there were a few to come back, but you know some of those that are going to be thrown out again, who'd played a pretty grueling 90 minutes at Leicester and then 120 against Derby, mm. what sort of state they were going to be in. And in actual fact, when you look at it, uh, two of the best players were players that, for saying so, Romeo and Ward-Prowse in the centre of midfield yep. against Everton were players that had played the full 90 and the full 120. As um, Adam mentioned, Steve, Derby was sort of disappointing, I guess, to go out of the cup because having a good cup run is important. But I think probably all of us felt, certainly I did, that this is a manager that was going to get a reaction from whoever started the Everton game. And so it proved. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, and as I've said before, it takes two teams on, on the pitch to make the game. And I think Everton kind of played right into our hands, really. I mean, they were... They were slow in possession. It was it was kind of like watching us under Pellegrino last season. Yeah. In that they had all the ball and did literally nothing with it. And they're continuing to do this same thing that, that they were doing under Ronald Koeman, mm. trying to play too many number 10s in, in the same team. And they just end up um, sort of stumbling over each other. But, I mean, it um, worked perfectly for us because it then gave us space both down the flanks and through the middle somehow quite how we ended up with so much space all over the pitch baffling and one thing I'd sort of particularly picked up with um with Everton's side is that Kurt Zuma was heralded as some sort of uh, prodigy as he was coming through the ranks at, at Chelsea uh, played quite a lot I think one of their title winning sides before he um, had a horrible knee injury and obviously farmed out on loan to Stoke last season didn't do very well there and yesterday I mean my word he was just dreadful there was one one moment where 
he was given a simple pass along the back line, literally no teammate or, or opponent within 25 yards of him, and he still managed to somehow almost fall over the ball. Mm. And just extraordinary. And as a result, you could see that um, their sort of lack of confidence in the game that Marco Silva wanted them to play in terms of playing the ball out from the back, doing the sort of short passes from the keeper, um, playing little triangles around the edge of their own area, which obviously Man City did mostly successfully against us. And you kind of thought, well, okay, well, they're they're good enough to do this. Everton were trying to do it and failing miserably. Mm. And that just gave us so much more confidence. It meant that we could push up 10 yards further up the pitch. There was no Everton players running in behind us, so there was no lack of pace to be exploited there because I mean let's face it those three centre-backs aren't blessed with pace that we've got yeah so as a result we were able to squeeze the game a lot higher up the pitch further away from our goal and to be honest the only disappointment from that game is that we didn't win by five and unsurprisingly Steve with four wins in seven Premier League games now confidence appears to be brimming smiles are returning we saw you know Nathan Redmond every time he did something well or something bad he was smiling which I, you know I don't have a problem with I think that's great to see and in the stands as well so you, you know it's a, it's a much better environment in and around the whole club at the moment yeah I mean it's amazing how just being able to see that there is a plan of some description some confidence in both the players and kind of goes both ways doesn't it I mean everyone says oh the fans need to get behind the team no matter what but Mm. you can only really kind of get behind something that you believe in Mm. and so the players have got to give the the fans something to believe in and yeah in the last last four or five weeks they've done exactly that and credit to all of them it's not just obviously Ralph's been the catalyst I guess because he's the he's the new guy he's the thing that's changed but all the players have have picked up on it and and they've they've run with it i mean there's very very few players that you can say haven't bought into uh what ralph's trying to do mm. and uh i know you want to talk about prousey adam i thought he impressed in all three games I, I saw harshly maybe that you gave him a six in the daily echo after the derby game but i thought he was better than that but uh um certainly a, a cracking strike to to beat Pickford yesterday and I mean that's his first goal at home since April 2017 so quite a while nearly two years he's had a really good week and another fantastic performance from him against Everton well I think I gave him an eight against Leicester and a nine against Everton so I think he'll get over the six well um still harsh I thought well maybe maybe it was I mean that's not I, I like I said it to be fair treat him mean was... to keep him keen <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly I should have given him all 10s for me that I didn't have to go to Accrington, shouldn't I? Really. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that the marks against Derby were potentially 100% accurate, given that for pretty much the second half and then all the extra time, I was staring at my laptop and trying to cut and paste things. So I pretty much saw none of the game. But you did the ratings at three o'clock in the morning or something like that, was it? Uh, the actual truth, the honest truth is that because the ratings are in like a separate box and the way the page kind of comes together is that that has to be done totally separately to everything else is that it actually got to about five minutes before deadline and i realized i hadn't done them so i just had to quickly call up the box and literally slamming (laughs) slamming anything so it could it could have been a so if if prowsey listens or anybody's offended then i apologize (laughs) wholeheartedly and give yourself an extra mark and i think the thing about uh prowsey is that We've never doubted his ability. I don't think anybody has doubted his ability on the ball. It's been more that question of where on earth do you put him in the team? And I remember watching uh, Adam Lallana come through. I used to go and watch the reserves an awful lot when the Saints had a reserve team. And, and it was that generation of, of Lallana, Walcott, Bale, uh, etc. And the one thing with Lallana was always, 
Um, even at like 14, 15, 16, playing, you know, getting up to play a bit of reserve team football, then even the coaches there would say to you privately, like, this kid is so talented, but where on earth are you going to put him in a team? Because to play at the level that was being asked to play, you know, you kind of have to be exceptional to play as a Premier League number 10, for example. You've got to be uh, you know, up there with the best in the world at those positions, as well as it's a bit more routine if you're perhaps a centre-half or you're a full-back or something like that. But the thing for Prousey is that it was kind of not exactly the same, but it was similar in that the 4-4-2 was sort of out of vogue, really, and that thought that he could play wide right midfield um, and his sort of Beckham-style delivery would make up for the fact that most modern-day right-side midfielders have pace. Mm. Um, also, it, it sort of seemed to exclude the fact that most teams don't have a target man these days, because that's kind of out of fashion as well, and there aren't many target men in the Premier League. So that position kind of came and, and went as a possibility. He's never really fitted into the mould of a number 10 either. I think he's often seen himself as a as sort of a central midfielder, um, often been quoted that he could be this sort of quarterback style central midfielder because of his range of passing. But the problem that he's always had is he's played you know, over 200 games for Saints now at 24, but he's never really felt like consistently he's going to be a first team regular because he's never really had a position. He's kind of just been brought in the team mainly to fill in when other people have been out yeah. uh, that have had a position. But now it seems to me that the extra Ralph squeezing out of him means he's got a position now. He's actually got finally got a position that that's his position that he's fighting for. It's that it's kind of in that, you know, maybe it's a two, maybe it's a three, depending on, on what the formation is that Saints are playing. But that kind of holding midfield, but with the, with the kind of with Romeo there with the license to, to be the one that goes forward and, links defence to attack, to play balls, but crucially, obviously with a huge amount of extra physicality, because that has always been the, the thing that's held him back from being really played in the centre of midfield. It's not his passing ability, it's the fact that he was too easy, brushed off the ball, yep. he didn't win enough of the ball, etc, etc. Now, it seems extraordinary that just Ralph sitting down and pointing this out seems to have had this massive effect on him, but you know, I was reflecting on it over the weekend, and of course it reminded me that's exactly what Alan Pardew did with Morgan Schneidlin. If we remember, Morgan Schneidlin was kind of in that similar boat, and that he was—I mean, Saints were in League One, different, very different days, but which is constantly bullied all the time. Pardew kind of made it clear to him that you've got to beef up your game, you've mm. got to be winning balls, and all of a sudden Schneidlin came back and was a completely different proposition um, as a footballer. And and this similar path seems to now be trodden by. Prousey so um, it's great to see because I think everybody has wanted him to succeed and certainly the club have I mean they've given him literally every chance to succeed and you know, were he not the academy product in and around the first team for so long were he a foreign player that had been brought in for example I don't know that he would have had the level of patience that Saints have kind of given him and the room to grow as it were but it seems like Ralph has really brought the best out of him and credit to him as well for really uh, responding positively when when you can go one of two ways in kind of that situation that he found himself. 
I'm pretty sure David Beckham will have James Ward-Prowse uh, posters on his wall at home, Adam. But uh, the thing that, that probably sums up the confidence that is evident at the moment, I thought, watching the uh, the highlights again last night, as I'm sure every Saints fan did on Match of the Day and then recording it and watching it again, was uh, it was so much easier after he'd won that ball. You think of sort of under Pellegrino that they might have passed that out to Valerie and sort of taken away the opportunity to shoot. But the confidence is there. It was much easier, as I say, to pass the ball out to Jan Valerie and sort of say, look, you deal with it, you cross it, etc., etc. But he had the confidence to have a shot, pinged it in the top corner, and probably for me summarises what's happened the last few weeks in terms of player confidence. Yeah, I think the first uh, instinct now under Harsenhutl is to to look ahead. It's not to look sideways or to look backwards. It's literally go ahead. They're playing the ball from back to the front uh, much, much quicker, mm. much quicker than, mm. than they have done for, you know, for a long time, really since Kuman was there. And that kind of being on the front for trying to cause problems for opponents um, in all kinds of different ways, setting up little traps for them. You can see that they've clearly worked on the training ground, uh, whether it be Redmond you know, running with the ball, whether it be them trying to bring the wing backs into play, whether it be Hoiberg or Prowse from a sort of slightly deeper midfield role to pressing forward and, and getting involved yeah i mean and and ings as well coming back and obviously the focus on ings has has been to keep him further up the pitch um that's very clear rather than you know him dropping deeper and deeper and ending up sort of in the center circle for Mm. for half the match Uh, and all these things it's just it's just a focus on moving forward and moving you know and that being the first thought that comes into their head and you can see it quite clearly in their play yeah, it's not just the high press, and I think that's the good thing. You know, there are short, sharp passes. I know Everton weren't great, but I mean, we carved them open several times yesterday with short, you know, think of the second goal, short, sharp, quick passes, and it's pretty simple stuff. But look, two wins and four at St Mary's now, Steve, as many as we'd had in our previous 20 games at St Mary's, so quite a uh, turnaround. We spoke last week, didn't we, about the need for Saints to, to try and make St Mary's somewhat of a fortress again. So wins will bring momentum, will bring confidence, as we've spoken about. Yeah, it's been weird. The, the fixture list has worked kind of in our favour, I think, in terms of just timing of games. Mm. Um, I mean, obviously, West Ham, we got sucker punched a little bit and weren't quite at it. And City are City, and you could lose those games any given time. But um, the Arsenal and um, Everton games in particular have been just opportunities, really. I think because mm. Arsenal and Everton are both sides that will have aspirations of coming to St Mary's and beating us and by beating us by attacking us which opens up space elsewhere on the pitch it gives you that opportunity to get in behind them and to pick up the little pockets of space in in and around their defence helps those two teams are both rubbish at the back as well (laughs) Um, whereas you play a team like Burnley opening game of the season for a prime example where Guys like that, they're just going to be sort of well organised. They're going to take time out of the game. They're going to stick men behind the ball. And unless you've got someone with outstanding creativity or lightning pace, so say you've got someone like Tadic, for example, uh, I'm going to bang that drum again. Seems he scored <laughs> scored twice again today. Yeah. And Mr. Penalty, also no surprise. Or someone with express pace like um, Redmond or obviously Sadio Mane in the past, then you're gonna you're gonna struggle to break sides like that down. So mm. that's where so that's where the game against Cardiff is actually gonna be probably a bigger test than yesterday's game. Yeah, and a quick word on the atmosphere at St Mary's, Adam. We've spoken about um, again fans getting behind them. Ralph obviously said during the week that you know we need that unity, but 
in terms of best performance on the pitch, it was probably one of the better performances from the, the fans in the stands. Maybe unsurprisingly when you're winning a game, but it's important, as we've spoken about, that they get behind the team and certainly did that. It sounded really, really loud. It was really loud. I always, I, I, even when Ralph said it I, in, in the press conference, um, I must admit I did internally wince a tiny bit just because I, always, I never really like to hear too much of managers and players kind of calling for unity or demanding fans, you know, a vocal and things like that, because really these things have to be earned. And also, given the absolutely appalling uh, record at St Mary's in the last couple of years, I think Saints fans have remained remarkably positive on the whole, really. Mm. It could, uh, had it been other clubs, they've been ripping up the seats and, um, <laughs> you know, protesting outside the ground. It's only because Saints are, uh, you know, fans are a pretty tame bunch generally that I think they've just kind of, the, the worst it's been is they've turned up feeling a bit disgruntled about life and about the fact they've got to go, a bit disillusioned. But that said, you know, when the, when the team are putting in effort and the, and the, you know, the fans can see that the players are putting in a, a real shift they're always going to respond that's just the way it is fans love effort above all else don't they i think well the majority of fans love absolutely, effort above absolutely. all else and um that's what we've seen uh really yeah very demonstrably from from ralph's teams uh, so far have been a real desire to play well and that is one thing that he promised when he came in that it wouldn't always go saints way but he hoped that people would see every game that the, what they tried to do and the way they tried to do it and that they could get behind that. And uh, as mentioned earlier, you can only get behind really something that you do believe in and something that you believe there's actually a plan there and it, and it might actually work. And he's certainly inspiring that. And I think with his sort of passion on the touchline as well is proving infectious in that it reminds me uh, he wasn't as passionate on the touchline, but the whole thing reminds me a little bit of Pochettino um, who sort of, overwhelming personality as it were um, which is kind of what he brought to Saints was kind of a real winning ingredient and it has been at Tottenham that sort of personality that he personally has brought to proceedings um, mm. and I think Ralph has kind of got a real touch of that about him as one other um, journalist said to me it's great Ralph being here he's, he's always really good isn't he it's like Saints have finally got a manager that's actually box office yeah and and that kind of sums it up I think we had a uh, tweet in from Jonathan Redseal, who I know uh, listens to the uh, podcast every week. So Jonathan said, here's a stat to consider for the podcast. How many own goals have Everton now conceded against Saints and which teams have the highest against each other? I know four goals now and I think in the last five years. Um, Steve, I know I pinged it to you uh, and you were quite right coming back last night. I've done my research today as well. So Jonathan and Steve are both right. It's four goals at St Mary's since 2014 that Everton have scored for us. Uh, Alcaraz, Coleman... Dean and Lukaku so they've certainly played their part and as Adam mentioned at the outset certainly uh, don't have the best record at uh, St Mary's I have to be honest Jonathan I've not had uh, any time to find out who's conceded the most against each other we'll do that for another day there was no doubting that Ralph was a happy man uh, after the game here's what he had to say to the Saints media team back-to-back wins are always very important and I think so far it was the best performance for me and what I've seen until now uh, it was uh, with the ball and against the ball, uh, very, very committed to performance. We could score four or five times minimum today, two times we hit the post and and the guys were very focused, uh, I think uh, also physically in a very good shape because we played 120 minutes on Wednesday evening and I had the feeling that we were the physically better team today at the end and it was amazing um, how we uh, defended the last set pieces in eight minutes overtime 
so they really believed in, in the chance to win today and, and it was a very important win for us. The Ralph Hampton revolution definitely feels like it's uh, in full swing now, Adam. Up to 15th, and as we've mentioned, some breathing space on the bottom three. As you outlined earlier, and as Ralph just said there, he called it the best performance under him so far. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I do, actually. I mean, it's <laughs> in a way, I tend to think Arsenal, maybe, to a certain extent, because it was Arsenal, uh, albeit it was obviously proved to be a good time to play Arsenal, um, and... At that stage, obviously, the pressure for results was was so huge. Not the Saints weren't under pressure against Everton. Of course they were. But having won at Leicester with the games they had coming up, it wasn't quite as intense, perhaps, as Arsenal when they were at that stage where they just had to get some points somehow yeah. from somewhere. Maybe the context meant the, and, and the, the opposition meant Arsenal was perhaps slightly better. But nonetheless, it's splitting hairs, really, because it was an absolutely terrific performance. And I must admit, I didn't think that um, this was no disrespect to Ralph because I didn't know that you know a great deal about Ralph until, in fact, probably the most I found out about Ralph until I actually met him was was listening to the interviews you did for our uh, Ralph Harson Hootel special, which mm. was very enlightening on him as a kind of character and him as a man. Yeah. But I, I liked what I saw straight away and I liked what I heard about him. But you know, it was pretty hard to envisage he would have such a major impact as he's he's had in a difficult period with a, with a lot of games as well. And, and when you look at it now, I, I put out that tweet from, you know, his first game was the defeat at Cardiff. And in that time, they've, they've now had an eight point swing mm. since then in seven games against Cardiff. You, you look at the table now, Huddersfield, 11 points away, Fulham, eight points away. Those two teams are well in the rear view mirror now. Yep. And considering how few points they've picked up this season, we can have absolute, total confidence that Saints are going to finish above both of those two so then you're uh, now just realistically worrying about potentially uh, one spot but you're right in that group now you already have a full win buffer to Cardiff who you have to play very soon Mm. Um, and yes they've signed a couple of players maybe that will help them maybe it won't because at the moment they are looking like they're going to sink Mm. Um, and then you've still got Newcastle Burnley Crystal Palace who who are right in the mix on kind of that similar number of points that Saints are. But Saints are the team that are, uh, yeah, I guess Burnley are kind of upwardly mobile at the moment as well, but so are Saints. And, and they're the ones that really have got confidence. And now they've got the fixtures to give themselves proper breathing space. And if the, the next three fixtures go well, they'll be in a position where I think we'll probably fairly confidently saying they're, they're staying up without really you know any great fear going into the last uh, few weeks of the season, unlike last year. That'll be nice. I'm looking forward to that. Fingers crossed. Just finally then, Steve, um, Saints now have 10 days off before they play Palace, Burnley and Cardiff due to the, the lack of uh, FA Cup fixtures. So do you think the breaks may be coming at the right time to get some players fit to give Ralph a chance to sort of think about what he's going to do for those three games? Or bearing in mind we've taken seven points out of nine, we've back-to-back wins. Is it possibly a momentum stopper? Uh, little from A, little from B, I suspect. Um, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I'm sure given the hectic schedule they've had over the last what month or so any rest is very welcome mm. i mean let's face it i'm not convinced if we'd have got past derby we w- certainly wouldn't have been sending off absolute first 11 up to accrington no. um so certain players would still have got a rest anyway but even so i think there's nothing wrong with, um, with a little bit of break a little bit of um i mean not necessarily a rest but because they'll i'm sure still be working on things on the training ground and maybe ralph will be looking at this sort of 10 day period as the time where he can now start to introduce 
some proper tactical changes. So while he's while he's obviously shored things up and there's a general idea of how he wants to play, I still don't think we're at the stage where we are playing the exact system that he kind of sees us playing long term. Mm. I think he's he's kind of designed something that that will work a as a short term learning thing for the players because at the end of the day they've not been able to spend that much time on the training ground because of all the games they've been playing mm. um but also what we're doing at the moment isn't quite how he how he envisages us um sort of being most successful i mean obviously we've been relatively successful as you say four wins from seven technically still unbeaten this year yeah um we'll take it yeah so i think having that time off a little bit of energy back and also learning experience i think Right, before we move on, don't think we missed anything, Adam, have we? Don't think so. No? No. Then like your message that you sent us at 4.59, one minute, <laughs> one minute after the game finished because yesterday. Because I thought this was going to be a whole segment. That's why I didn't get it. Because <laughs> right. I thought that's what it deserved. Just so everyone knows then, so mm. we, we have a little... Yeah, we should, we should definitely talk yeah, about Yeah, we should set the scene, shouldn't we? So we have a little um, Twitter direct message group which helped us to arrange these podcasts. You know, I can ping the chat say, are we doing this time, etc., etc. The game finished at 4.57pm last night. 4.59, Steve and I receive a message. Most important result of the day, am I off the bottom of the prediction league? Question mark. So, Adam Leach, of course, predicted 2-1 to Saints yesterday. Not only are you off the bottom, Adam, but you've shot to the top because you're now on to 13 points and uh, Stephen myself are on 12. So, uh, yeah, very much congratulations. And uh, as you said, a massive weekend. You put massive in capital letters. Because I meant it. It was <laughs> absolutely huge. It was a huge weekend for me, Ben. I'm delighted, really, with how it went. Um, yeah, great performance from the lads. They you sound like you just won an Oscar. There. <laughs> yeah you gotta start crying <laughs> well all i'll say is catch me if you can all right hold my beer <laughs> i thought it was quite interesting that we've played 23 games this season so bearing in mind we've all predicted one for that that's 69 predictions between us how many do you reckon we've got exactly right so far three. steve three adam what do you reckon Four. Yeah, five is the answer. So five out of 69. So who's got the most correct predictions overall? Because we, we do points for so, games. So results rather than... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Score. So I, I, I have to be honest. I think you two have both got two each and I've got one. So that says a lot for me, the Mark Lawrenson of TSP. Bobby Stokes. Hit well. Oh, he's there. Stokes has put Southampton in the lead. A great break there for Southampton. And they're all off their Southampton bench. Pinty out to this near flank. It's time for this week's Total Recall. Leon and Will have joined Steve and myself to look back at a true nail-biter at St Mary's on the 4th of May 2008. Will, this one was uh, your choice and a, a good one at that. Tell us why you went for it. I went for it merely because of Matt Letiz's reactions on Sky Sports. You can tell he's a, is a fan um, of the club. With the varied emotions, but I think we displayed that day for the poor lad. Um, it, I mean, there's plenty of videos which will um, show connected to this later on. But um, yeah, it, it was amusing. It was everything from being down in the dumps, thinking that Saints were going to get relegated that season, to all of a sudden some positivity, then back to some negativity, and at the end of it all, he, he uh, seemed quite exhausted. A true Southampton roller coaster, as you say, but uh, it was, of course, Southampton against Sheffield United. For a bit of variety, we're going to uh, get Steve to read out the uh, Saints lineup. Steve, so go for it. 
Started off with uh, Richard Wright in goal, who was obviously on loan for a brief period. Uh, back four, slightly patched up uh, back four of Jermaine Wright at right back, Chris Perry and Darren Powell in the middle, and Andrew Sermon at left back. Four across the midfield of uh, Yusuf Safri, Inigo Idiakis, Jean Viafara, and Jason Yule. And up front, we had uh, Marek Saganowski and Stern John. Well, wow, what a cultural team that was, eh? Leon, the, uh, the Sheffield United side was packed of uh, a few decent players as well. Yeah, there's a few recognised players there. We've got uh, Kenny and Goal, Geary, Kilgallen, Nate Smith, Halls, Cottrell, Speed, Tongue, Quinn, Holtz, and the one and only Billy Sharp, who, of course, is now back at Sheffield United. Blades fan through and through, isn't he? Yeah. The referee, because we love doing our referees check, was uh, Phil Joslin from Nottinghamshire. No idea whatever happened to Phil Joslin. 31,957 of us piled into St Mary's, practically full to the brim. It was, of course, the last game of the season, and Saints, if we're honest, had it all to do. They started the day in the remaining relegation place, knowing they needed favours from Charlton and Stoke, who were playing Coventry and Leicester, respectively. Should Saints lose, we were down. That had looked on the cards for most of the season, despite Nigel Pearson's best efforts. Due to our poor goal difference, a draw would mean the same as well. We simply had to win. How nervous do you remember being that day, Will? Well, it's hard to judge because I spent my life being nervous with the Saints. <laughs> I think ultra nervous. I didn't want the plummet down the league one, which inevitably happened anyway. You remember back in the 90s when we were in the Premier League and we used to have this year-on-year relegation battle. You kind of get used to it. I like to think that maybe... I've probably got the toughest nerves in the world being a Southampton supporter because of all these relegation fights. Maybe I was kind of used to it that day. I, I had nerves, but I just thought, you know, soldier through. <laughs> yeah, I think we're all nervous, Rex. But uh, it didn't start too well. 23 minutes on the clock and the aforementioned Billy Sharp crossed for Stephen Quinn to head home the first goal. Sheffield United into the lead. Richard Wright then made a great point-blank save on the line from a Matt Kilgannon header. Could that change the match? Absolutely. Saints went down the other end and did this. Safri, Sermon, now you, deflected, Saganowski, and Southampton have equalised, within seconds of very nearly falling two behind, the looping cross for Marek Saganowski. Marek Saganowski then, Steve, 10 goals in 11 games on loan the season before this one. Um, he signed permanently in June 2007 following that spell and then uh, unsurprisingly struggled to get anywhere near that in terms of goals and form. But a very, very important uh, goal in terms of this game. Yeah, I mean, that was that was a huge goal to get us back on terms about three minutes or so before um, half time. Um, we knew that Coventry were already losing at Charlton. Leicester were quite surprisingly still nil-nil at, at Stoke, who I think uh, needed just that point to to be certain of going up. Yep. So I think there was there was quite a lot riding at both ends of the table in in that game at the Britannia. But yeah, for us to get back on terms right on half time was um, was a huge boost. Given that I mean Sheffield United had turned up thinking that they still had an outside chance of the playoffs mm. and. At half time, I think even with the score at one all, I think a win would have taken them to within goal difference of I think it was Palace, I think, ended up finishing sixth. Yeah. Both those two games were still very much live. Charlton had nothing to play for, I don't think, in their game against Coventry. And yet they were running right in that game, to be honest. So as Steve says, we head into the break at one all, still with work to do. Eight minutes into the second half, and we finally go ahead. Idiakes to John. Saganovsky. Hostern John! Yes! Sturgeon puts Southampton ahead for the first time. Eight minutes of the second half gone. It was awkward to control. Dropping over his shoulder. Moment to steady it. 
yourself then, bang! What do you remember of the goal, Leon? Yeah, it's a great finish, right into the roof of the net. Savvy, in true Saints style, the lead only lasts 12 minutes. John Stead makes it to all, having come on as a sub, and we're heading down. Thankfully, we only have to chew our nails for a further four minutes, because Stern John strikes again. Way by Kilgallen. Mediakis. Via Quara. Here's John. Smart turn! It's 3-2, and it's Stern John again! And Sheffield United will level for just three minutes! Stern John's 19th goal of the season! Big goal at a big moment, Will. How important do you think that was that we scored so quickly after John Stead equaliser? Yeah, it was a it was a massive goal for well the club and for Nigel Pearson as well. I mean, I think he had a point to prove to the club keeping on permanently there. Um, obviously, like a lot of things that happened in, in the last season, we can't seem to keep a lead. So back in the day, that proves we kind of only couldn't keep a lead, but we could add to our own as well. So uh, that was nice. Stern John went on to uh, take his shirt off uh, for his first goal to celebrate. Obviously got the, the yellow card for that. Yeah. But Ron, I think it was 10 minutes before the end, he got sent off, didn't he, for a bit of a crazy tackle. That's right. Had a bit of nervous moments there with 10 minutes to go. It wasn't the greatest tackle, as you say. And yeah, I mean, just um, on Stern John and Steve, we, we scored 56 league goals that season. It had obviously been a bit of a struggle, but that third uh, goal for Saints that day, his second of the day, took him to 19 for the, the season in the league. So, you know, almost half the goals when you look back at it and you think how much we struggled. That was a pretty decent effort by him. Well, yeah, I mean, he was the fourth leading scorer, I think four behind Sylvain Ebanks-Blake and a few behind both, um, well, two former Saints strikers, actually, Beattie and Phillips. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, for him to have racked up so many goals in in a side that struggled so desperately for most of the season um, was one hell of an effort. I can't remember who won player of the season that year, but without those goals, we'd have been dead and buried um, months before. And what about Nigel Pearson then, Leon? Um, I know you're into your your Saints managers. He was obviously a, a bit of a character, as we know, but did a good job in the end of keeping Saints up. So what do you remember of Nigel Pearson? Yeah, I think it was um, Laurie's idea at the time to get Nigel down, his manager. But it was the right one at the right time, and he left after this season. As uh, Will mentioned, Stern John got sent off, but Saints managed to, to just about see it out. And I've uh, got a true story that I wanted to, to briefly tell as well um, after Will's choice for this game. Myself and uh, my best mate, my housemate at that time, Ben Andrews, we were sat right in the front row of the uh, chapel stand, actually. And in the second half, it was just before um, the, the second goal went in for Saints. Um, Paddy Kenny ran across to pick up the ball to take a goal kick in front of us. And I knew that we obviously needed to win the game. So I, uh, I think I'd had a few drinks before the game and shouted out to Paddy Kenny that... If he let another go in, I'd give him 20 quid. And he looked up at me um, just as he was picking the ball up and did a cheeky smile. I think many people remember Paddy Kenny was quite a, a cheeky chap. Anyway, he went back to take the goal kick and we, of course, went on to win the game. And um, at the end of the game, everyone will remember fans were starting to run on the pitch. But actually, the stewards were trying to stop fans run on the pitch. So it wasn't the uh, the sort of exodus of fans onto the pitch that you sometimes see. But Ben Andrews myself managed to get past one of the stewards and I was literally running towards the centre circle and took a look to my left and saw Paddy Kenning. He was sort of walking out of his area, taking his gloves off. He was obviously getting ready to go and shake hands. And uh, for some reason, with all these Saints fans running past me, I decided I was going to make a beeline for Paddy Kenny. So I went over to Paddy Kenny and uh, I shouted at him really, really loud because the music was starting to play. And I said, thanks for letting the goal in, Paddy. And he looked at me and he said, hold on a minute. Are you the guy that owes me 20 quid? So just as everyone was running running past me I tried to get my wallet out on the pitch to give him 20 quid I'm not even sure if there was 20 quid in there to be honest but just as I was doing that he said 
off, mate, and just have a good evening. They eh? say, so I kissed him on the cheek, true story, kissed him on the cheek, and then legged it with everyone else towards the centre circle. So that's my memory of uh, that game and uh, Paddy Kenny. So, um, Steve, as I say, he was a bit of a, a character, Paddy Kenny, but uh, I'm not sure if you've ever kissed him on the cheek. Uh, no, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure uh, your three-year football banning order is in the post as we, as we speak. Yeah, well, this was ten years ago. I'm sure I'll be fine now. So uh, there we go. There was, there was thousands of others. Statute but, of limitations. Uh, <laughs> exactly. So there we go. But yeah, true story, and it's uh, a great memory actually. And I think uh, alongside Will choosing the game, it's something that uh, you, you know will uh, always uh, live with me, just in terms of uh, funny moments on a football pitch. But as Steve said, um, Saints did stay up. Leicester could only draw at Stoke nil-nil, taking them to 52 points. Coventry got absolutely thrashed. 4-1 at Charlton but finished in the last safety place 21st and on 53 points Saints finished 20th on 54 points and lived to fight another day it's fair to say Nigel Pearson was a relieved man it's been a, an emotional day and a very difficult day because um, I mean it, it's just one of those situations where you've got to try and keep me cool and, and today at times it was impossible Pearson, of course, was moved on by Saints quickly after that and replaced by Jan Portflet three weeks later. And we all know what happened the following season, but that's a story for another day. That's been Total Recall, May the 4th, 2008, Southampton 3, Sheffield United 2. Thanks to Will, Leon and Steve. With Ben Stanfield, Adam Leach, and Steve Grant. Sponsored by happyhottubs.co.uk. Thanks, as mentioned, to Leon and Will from saintsarchive.com. If you've not visited their site, which encourages and enjoys many old archive clips and stories of saints, then make sure you do. Now, before we finish by talking briefly about the fans' forum, a quick transfer window update, Adam, if we're okay. It's all still quite quiet in general, I think, including Saints. But uh, two questions. Are you expecting any movement imminently with uh, Saints? And related to that, Jeff in Toulouse in France got in touch this week to ask whether Ralph may have anyone in mind from his previous tenures that could do a job for us now with some of the players having left. So I don't know if you can cover off those two for us. Yeah, sure. Um, As it stands, nothing imminently. Um, The situation remains kind of unchanged, really, in that the they, they need to shift players before they can sign players. Also, I think the upturn in form um, has probably dulled the sense of urgency in terms of uh, having to get players in in January. It's been a really quiet window across the Premier League this year. It's a, all a bit tactical. There may be, I, I suspect, a bit of movement all around in the last few days. But I don't see that there's probably going to be much happening in the Premier League before those last few days of the window. Um, and I suspect Saints are the same. They need to get rid of some more before they bring anybody else in. And in terms of who that could be, if indeed they do manage to to sell one or two um, and bring some in, obviously if Ralph can get anybody from his former clubs, then great. There's been quite a lot of players linked and even Ralph himself laughed uh, you know anybody he liked who he's who previously managed does seem to have been linked at some point or or another Mm. um i certainly think that saints will try and take advantage of his contacts and his knowledge of the bundesliga and the austrian leagues and things like that to maybe see if they can pick off one or two bargains or, or one or two squad players but really to be completely honest i wouldn't urge fans to get too excited about the rest of this window i can't see honestly that they're going to sell a lot of players in this window and so therefore I can't see them buying many players and I think it will be a case of waiting till the summer when prices are normal 
uh, and trying to really make a huge change in the squad. I think there'll be quite a drastic overhaul in the summer. Yeah, fair enough. Just briefly, again, I know it was mentioned in the fans forum, Sofian Buffel, do you think that's possible that he could be recalled this month and or is that an option or do you think that'll probably wait until the summer and he'll come back naturally my suspicion is that will wait until the summer when he'll come back naturally uh, i don't know that for sure i've got to say i'm this that's only a second guess i don't honestly think that they'll recall him this month because yeah, he's a lot to, to just sort of have him hanging around again if Ralph, he turns up ralph has a look at him and then doesn't fancy him hmm. a bit different with the younger players to come back because then if Ralph's a bit like yeah, okay they can go out again they go out again as whereas they kind of would be lumbered with Buffel just sat around if Ralph didn't like him but I can understand why he might like to have a look at him but I think it's hard to really make much of an argument for that he's probably better place staying where he is I think yeah fair enough okay so on to the fans forum then I certainly don't want to, to get negative so that's not the point of the uh, this part of the podcast I think it's just being more constructive as a fan looking at some of the things that were, were spoken about and obviously tapping into Steve and uh, Adam's knowledge so please don't think there's any negativity around this as I say it's just trying to sort of pick up some of the comments and sort of get uh, general views on it and um, I know none of us three attended but as always uh, with these things it proved fairly interesting uh, a couple of things to cover off as I mentioned then Adam um, firstly what do you make of um, Harsen Hootel's comments in public uh, regarding Michael Obafemi that quote I think I am missing a bit of professionalism in his work and that is sometimes a part of a, a young player so what do you think he meant by that well the rest of the answer he kind of went on to talk a lot about his fitness didn't he essentially and I think that's what he means for any professional athlete you've got to really look after yourself you've got to be very conscientious about what you do and you can't possibly just get in a team uh, or, or achieve something young and think that you've cracked it um, you look at all the greats in any sport and what makes them great and what gives them is longevity in many cases uh, what gives them longevity is great professionalism and no more do we see that at the moment when we look at the tennis and we see Djokovic Nadal and Federer still competing very strongly in the men's side and people like Serena Williams in the women's side, um, you know, even at what we would consider advanced years for, for players in their sport. And that's professionalism. I don't at all uh, raise an eyebrow really about Ralph saying that because I think um, Saints need, uh, like all Premier League clubs now, when you're dealing with players with, you know, huge wages and egos and things like that, you need nowadays this box office, this kind of character manager to manage these people and a lot of the time as we've seen with Sari at the weekend as well that means sometimes making a very deliberate decision to say things publicly mm. um, because you think that that's going to help rein somebody in or a team in or something like that and uh, I don't subscribe and I never have to this oh everything should be kept behind closed doors and if not oh you know how terrible I think you say things when it's the right time to say them and I think that Ralph is very honest. He's been honest about a lot of players so far in both a positive and sometimes a negative sense. But I think his kind of my way or the highway style, as I keep calling it, kind of demands that people come along with him. And if they're not prepared to, then they fall by the wayside. And so I don't think there's anything wrong with with trying to cajole players in that way. Moving on to the other Ralph then, Kruger, and the Echo um, put a piece in regarding that and uh, sort of said 
Krieger doesn't think it makes sense for Saints to have a, a long-term vision due to their position in the Premier League. And quoting him from the fans forum, he said, one of the things we've realised is the importance of the now. One of the things that pulled us out of what we were doing really well was going to Europe twice as we didn't really process it the way we needed to. We lost a little of our eye on the ball and right now we are working really hard as a club to refresh the Southampton way. What we did five years ago is much more challenging to do today. I could sit here and tell you a fairy tale about a five-year dream, but right now, I tell you the truth, we are working every day to get this club back on track. That's our focus right now. Um, should we be worried, Adam, that the club are maybe focusing too much on the now, as Kruger calls it, or is that the right thing that they should be doing, bearing in mind the position in the league? For my money, I uh, think it's probably the right thing to be doing at this point in time. But I'm sure... What Ralph hasn't said publicly, but which is going on, I know is going on, is this sort of big review as to the way they're actually structuring the club and the way they're running the club. That is still taking place. That is happening with the aim, obviously, of eventually appointing one. I'm thinking now it's probably going to be more than one person into roles um, that are going to be effectively heading up the football side um, and driving that forward and changing the philosophy and the direction, the culture of that. Now that is still going on. Um, and that is very much obviously when they find the right people, they'll sort of find the philosophy as well. I think then it'll all uh, meld together and then there can be a clear plan as to where they're going. I must admit it doesn't worry me in the sense that uh, I think you need an overview of where you want to go, but I think way too much is made of quote a five year plan because what a five-year plan is, we'd like to win some more matches. That's all it is at every football club. Yeah. There's, there's nothing more to this five-year plan than that. There never has been. The five-year plan at Saints was, let's try and get promoted a couple of times and get in the Premier League and do well in the Premier League. Well, you could have picked some drongo off the street. You could have written that plan on the back of a fag packet. It's not, it's not rocket science to come up with things like that. And really, what could Ralph sit there and say, oh, yeah, we've got... We've got this great five-year plan in five years' time, a bit like the other five-year plan that hasn't worked out will be in the Champions League. Well, people just laugh Mm. and say, well, that's crazy. We're in a relegation battle. So I think he's done the right thing. There is long-term planning going on at the Saints at the moment. There's a lot of looking to the future and a lot of introspection as to where they've been and where they want to get to and how they're going to change things. I've been talking a bit about it in the pods over the last months or so, and we're going to hear a lot more about it publicly from them, I think, in the next few months as decisions start to get made. But right now it's the here and now. And actually, for I know people have had a bit of a a whinge and a bit of a moan about the fans forum and things, um, but I would say... You know, credit to them again for coming out and at least fronting up and speaking publicly at times that are are fairly testing to do so. And and uh, the thing I'd say to supporters is that they're getting the chance to have their voice heard. And if people don't take that, that's fine. I, I hear a lot of people moaning uh, online about, oh, just these questions were terrible. Oh, this was awful. That was awful. Well, you know, if I was there, I'd tell him this. Like, well, go then. Mm. If you if you feel like that. They had 100 places, and I can tell you they had barely more than 100 people apply. So if people were that upset, why aren't people going to put their opinion? It's just easier to sit behind a computer and say you do it. Yeah, so I I think credit to them for coming out and and at least fans that did go, I think from what, what I've picked up, felt that their questions were answered fairly. Steve, as a fellow fan, 
talking about their vision, you know, we've not heard from Gao, as Adam's quite rightly said, has been one of the frustrations. Ralph again spoke about him being very much behind the club, being this private man. So in terms of us as fans, knowing where we go in short and long term, you, you know, whether we're on track for that, who's accountable for any success or failure, do you think there should be more of a, of a longer term vision or do you agree that, you know, we are in a precarious position and at the moment the full focus just needs to be on surviving this season and then coming up with some sort of plan or longer term strategy, whatever it may be in the summer? Yeah, I don't actually think it's necessarily anything to do with our current position. I don't think that should really affect whether we go ultra long term vision or any of this sort of stuff, because the Premier League and I mean the football industry as a general sort of thing evolves so quickly that I don't think that you can realistically put any sort of long term strategy in place um, these days. As you rightly said, this whole thing of, oh, we've got a five year plan from when Marcus Lieber bought the club well yeah i mean of course you're going to try and um, try and get promoted twice yep. that's that's kind of um that's always going to be the going to be the goal and whether it, whether it happens or not is is kind of moot really mm. but i mean again like the position we're in you can't plan anything beyond well what are we trying to do we're obviously going to try and stay in the premier league and realistically teams don't make dramatic improvements anymore i mean ignore the leicester thing Mm. as the as the obvious elephant in the room but you don't have teams that are sort of battling relegation one year suddenly getting in the champions league um it's just not realistic and the way the league is set up now the way the the big clubs kind of closed ranks after leicester won the title seven is all we can aim for um at least sort of as far into the future as anybody realistically could could imagine mm. i mean if if something big happened like some sort of i don't know european super league breakaway or any of this sort of nonsense that's that's mentioned in dispatches occasionally then yeah i mean sure the the ambitions then perhaps change but then the dynamics will change the finances will change and perhaps it's not actually the sort of be all and end all that everybody might sort of think it kind of leads to yeah i mean sure you you always want to keep an eye on the future but it shouldn't necessarily be a driver to block immediate progress um, or, or preventing yourself stalling, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. Fair points. And uh, just lastly, then, Adam, Toby Steele spoke about moving potentially the uh, away fans, which I know has also been discussed uh, by and at the Saints Voice panel as well. So just again, in, in light of the serious situation, as Ralph calls it at the moment, is moving the away fans really a, a key priority in our current state and or needed? No, and I also don't think it'll happen. I, I looked at it and thought, oh, not this again. I, I think I first wrote about the the desire to move the away fans in 2002. Here we are, 16, 17 years later, still talking about it. So I find it very hard to believe it'll happen. The main reason I think it, it won't happen is even if Saints wanted to do it, even if they decided it was worth the money. And, and let me tell you, I know from having looked at this a long, long time ago, um, and, and God knows what it would cost now. The cost of doing this will be huge financially. It will be absolutely huge. This is not why a is minor that, thing. Sorry? In, in the nicest way, why is that just for people that might not know the answer? It's because the way the stadium's built. They'll have to rebuild a lot of the internal mechanism of the stadium because of the, the way that they they have to get the fans out separately. The reason that it won't happen, I think, is that I don't believe that the police will ever sign off on having it happen. Mm. Because at the moment, they've got a, the, the system as it works means that they can funnel the away fans out towards the coaches in relative safety if there yep. was to be any problems after games. Yep. 
and and that's the way the stadium's designed. That's the way the entrances are designed. That's the way the concourses are designed. That's the way the outside of the stadium is designed. To change that is going to require all of those elements to change. Mm. So it's not a case of just putting them somewhere else. Uh, so I don't think it'll happen because I think the police would never approve it, even if Saints suddenly decided that they were prepared to spend the money. Or if they did, uh, the I can't remember all the ways off the top of my head. I could look into it for a future pod if you want me to, but we have written about this before. There are two or three alternative potential options on the table, but they would require probably so much investment. You're You're running into millions now. To, to cost up what what it would what it would really silly take to convince even if you had a chance of convincing the police to allow this to happen which i don't think it will maybe we could leave the fans where they are but move the goals further along the northern so they're a bit, a bit further in front of block <laughs> block 40 or block 41 i don't know that Just might work till the pitch diagonally <laughs> exactly um, yeah because the other thing of course i think toby even made the point is that when they have consulted on this as well with a, <clears> i think more to seem willing than than the likelihood of them doing it of course, they've, they've then met a large opposition from big swathes of fans who would be, and season ticket holders, who would be displaced by the potential moving of the away fans. And they don't want to lose their seats mm. and the places that they go and they sit and they have their community of, of fans um, that they know and they go to games with around them. They don't want those people don't want to lose that either. So uh, what, what exactly you would do with it? And how you would compensate those two things, I don't know. And uh, all right, they're kind of behind the goal. And, and there's this talk of whether it can have an influence or not. Maybe it has a small influence. But let's be honest, really, it shouldn't have a big influence on the team, I don't think, particularly. Um, in an ideal world, I think if you design the stadium again, yes, if you were opening it again now, you would have tried to build it in a way to have put them somewhere else if you could. But now it is where it is. And given the logistical and the financial problems that it would cause to move it to be honest i almost think saints are trying to appear very willing to do this but i actually think they'd be better off just saying we're not doing it and these are the reasons why and just get it off the table again because i think it's a bit of a waste of time what's your views on it steve just finally then move them or leave them i mean as adam says i think it's just more hassle it's worth i mean yeah i think there is an intangible issue with seeing a packed away end on tv Mm. and yeah, I mean, from from that perspective, it's it's not ideal. But we've been at St Mary's for what 18 years now. It's not a new development. I mean, if we if we did expand the ground at some point, which I mean, attendances suggest that's not going to be um, happening anytime soon. I wouldn't have thought. Yep. Then you could possibly look at it because you could then, for example, if they put a put another tier on top of the northern, then you could do what. Um, Manchester City have done mm. and basically um, narrow the away end but then build it upwards yep. that would kind of have the desired effect as well as splitting the the away following over two tiers which then theoretically lessens the sort of um, collective noise you get from them but surely someone done a study to determine whether those who have massive away followings actually influence things Leeds United Everywhere they go, always sell out the away end, whether they're in Premier League or in League One. Mm. But they were in League One for a very good reason, because they had a rubbish team. <laughs> and that, that is ultimately what happens on the pitch is still the, is still the deciding factor, not how much noise the away team makes. They're appearing willing to discuss things. Mm. Um, so obviously we've got this Saints Voice panel that's been having a lot of discussions over various aspects. Some of them I care more about than others, that's that's for sure. But at least the club is appearing willing to engage with people. 
um, staff are giving up their time on various evenings to attend meetings and um, discuss things yep. and and this sort of thing and and that's to be applauded agree with you yeah i echo what you said adam which is uh, again it's good to see saints doing the fans forum and uh, hopefully i think there's one more plan before the end of the season that'll be uh, well attended however it's uh, set up but uh, that's uh, some interesting thoughts and uh, appreciate the uh, the chat Thanks for listening to this week's episode of TSP. Hope you've enjoyed it. We're going to have a little break next week as there's no action for Saints now. So unless there is a hive of transfer activity this next seven days, don't expect to hear from us next weekend. So until next time, let's enjoy the moment, Saints fans. We're on the up with Ralph Hampton FC. Keep marching in. days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com hey folks i'm mark Marin from the wtf podcast and this episode is brought to you by kleenex ultra soft tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.